New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. For the most part, our cultural mindset is anti-aging. We live in a storm of messages that tell us the good life includes looking younger and acting younger. We're indoctrinated to receive as a most high compliment, you look so young for your age. Billions of dollars are spent on our obsession in avoiding getting old. Yet every one of us everywhere is aging, whether we like it or not. No miracle cream or magical pill can mitigate the fact that with each passing moment, we're further from birth and closer to death. Even so, our guests today, Richard Leiter and David Shapiro, have some good news to help us reimagine getting old. They write, we can be old on our own terms for as long as possible. And they go on to say, by making choices about what it means to be old, we're not denying the advancement of time, but we're taking charge of what it means to act our age in our own way. And the earlier we begin to reimagine old age, the better. Richard Leiter is the founder of InVenture, the purpose company, whose mission is to help people unlock the power of purpose. He's the author and co-author of many books, including Repacking Your Bags and The Power of Purpose. Both of these books are considered classics in the personal growth field. And recently, both David and Richard have turned their attention to the subject of aging. And they are the co-authors of Who Do You Want to Be When You Grow Old? The Path of Purposeful Aging. So please join us for the next hour as Richard Leiter and David Shapiro guide us in aging into the fullness of life. I'm speaking with Richard and David from their homes by remote connection. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. David, Richard, welcome. Thank you. For me, it's a pleasure and a privilege to be back. So that was Richard and David. Maybe we'll hear your voice a little bit <laughs> so people can tell the difference. Likewise. Thank you so much for having us here today. It's a real thrill. It's my thrill, too. I just love delving into this book. And I first want to say you are taking 
ownership of a word that we avoid in our culture (laughs) a lot, and that word is old. So I'd love for you, both of you, to say something about taking ownership of that word. Yeah, this is Richard. Even our publisher didn't want us to use the word old in the book. Who do you want to be when you grow old? Because they said old doesn't sell. Books on old are avoided by people, just like Justine, you said. And we decided, no, we're going to own it, not only own it, but we're going to stand on it in a positive, not a Pollyannish way, because there are challenges at any stage of life. But we're going to take a stand on uh, the positive mindset of aging, which has a whole lot of benefits to it that we can talk about. David? Yeah, and it's also, we noticed that in many realms, old is a good thing. If you have old wine or old books or, like Richard and I, old friends, in those ways, old is used in a positive sense. And so it's odd that there's this pejorative sense of old when it comes to people. And as you said, we've wanted to reclaim the word. We're glad to be old. It's great. Old means uh, old is good. Your book has come out of a conversation, but more than that, it's it's come out of a very long conversation that the two of you have been having for because you are old friends. <laughs> and this is a good, good thing that you you have created great history together. And besides that, you've written books together. And now this is your most recent one. Who do you want to be when you grow old? So this this has come out of an old friendship and an old acquaintance. Mm-hmm. And I know that you use the word growing old rather than getting old. So I'd love for you to help us with that distinction. Uh, Richard, uh, two pieces I would add to that are two concepts. Uh, the first one is that aging is, uh, or purposeful aging, is age agnostic. It can start, and does if you're awake earlier in life, but there are certain points, inflection points in life and crisis points in life where we start to look at age and we look at purposeful aging a little more more deeply. So our conversation, I mean, we've had, I think it's six books together or more that, um, and, you know, some bestsellers and things like that. But our conversation has, uh, you know, traveled along with our own age as we've gotten older, just because the last book started at a baseball game. It wasn't that it started there. It just happened to be that was a point where we said, let's let's do something with this that let's talk or write write about this. And so I think that um, that everybody's an experimental one. We all have our own stories. But when we share our stories, uh, David and I, magic happens. I want to say about growing old, and I want to talk about the stories because that's that's really important. Uh, that's an important subject I want to cover. But before I do that, mm-hmm. I'm I'm reminded of a process that I did once um, in when preparing for an interview that I did with Hirsch Wilson, 
And we both know her. She became an old friend. Oh, great. I'm so, hey, here's here's our tribe. Here's our tribe. Yeah. Yeah. And in his book, Firefighters Zen, he he had us do an exercise where we took a we took a piece of paper and we made a dot on the left-hand side of the paper. And then we made a dot on the right-hand side of the paper. And we drew a line between them. And then we, on the left side of the paper, we wrote down the day of our birth. And on the right side of the paper, we wrote down the projection we had of when we're going to die. And, you know, we'd base it on, okay, family history and and our own health and stuff. So we put the date that we're going to make up, but, you know, with some thought. And then we put another dot on today's date that we're drawing that line. And then we look at that dot and we see how much time we have left in our life. Mm -hmm. And I want to say that doing that exercise took it out of the existential, (laughs) like, oh, yeah, I'm going to die someday. When I say, oh, I have, oh, 15 years or or I have, you know, five years or whatever that number is, it becomes very real. And that has something to do with what you all are talking about. And totally, as we go back, well, first of all, do you have any comment on that process? Well, I... uh... And we have done that similar exercise with people, but I think the the insight is simply that time is our most valuable currency. It's not money, it's time. And so uh, at certain ages or with certain things like um, I'm dealing with a health challenge right now, and uh, all of a sudden that makes time more relevant. And I don't expect that it's going to end soon, but it's going to end sooner than, than I was thinking it was going to end. So um, the point is that time, you know, so much of the pushback on purpose and the work we've done on purpose is, oh, I'm too busy. I don't have time for this until some inflection point or some age or some stage where we are either forced or we find that that purpose is all of a sudden very relevant. Yeah. And I think also when you when ref, you reflect on those long periods of time, it it really gives you a perspective. So for instance, um soon after repacking came out in 1994, um I went to uh, Richard's 50th birthday party. Um and I did a little stand-up routine <laughs> to roast him. And I remember th- I was 37 at the time. And I remember thinking, and I 50 was 50 years old. That <laughs> is old. Um, and then, of course, you know, I'm I, when I look at that now, 50 is a young man. Um, uh, so the 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 sort of scale of time puts things in perspective that way. It's I mean, not- Richard and I have have known each other and been friends and colleagues now um, longer than I was old when I first met him. And I wasn't right. a, you know, I was a, I was a grown man when that happened. 
Exactly, exactly. And that just kind of takes me a bit too into what you mentioned about stories. And of course, the two of you have come together with many stories. And when we look back over our life, we have a lot of stories to tell. And you talk about that, and we sometimes we're with older people, and they're telling their story over and over and over, and you kind of don't feel a lot of energy when you're trying to listen to it again. So I want to ask about storytelling and what gives our storytelling vitality. Well, we talked in our most recent book, this is Richard, the book, Who Do You Want to Be When You Grow Old? We talk about living life in the rearview mirror or living life in the windshield. Both of them have relevance and value. In the rearview mirror, the story is about what you're saying, Justine, and that is all the things that are in the past. In the windshield, it's what's in, in the, there's a reason that the windshield's larger than the rearview mirror. And yet, oftentimes we spend too much time on the little mirror, the rearview rear mirror. So, so I want to, I want you to say more about that, but I need to remind our listeners that I'm here with Richard Leiter and David Shapiro, and they are the co-authors of Who Do You Want to Be When You Grow Old? A Path of purposeful aging. And if you want to know more about their work, you can go to the website richardleiter.com. And he spells his last name L-E-I-D-E-R, richardleiter.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with authors David Shapiro and Richard Leiter, and we're talking about who do you want to be when you grow old, The Path of Purposeful Aging, which is the name of their newest book. And we're talking about storytelling. I mean, here, as we age, we have lots of stories to tell. And Richard, you were just reminding us that there's a way to look in the rearview mirror or look through the windshield. So I'd love for you to say more about that. Well, I wonder how many of your listeners have been at a reunion of any size or shape. And oftentimes it's about the rearview mirror. It's about where we were, when, and how we were. 
And then when you ask, so what are you up to now? If there's a blank, I walk away. <laughs> because if people are not living in a new, curious way, uh, I think that they're missing the point. Both are important. Our story from the past and our grounding is critical, but even more critical is what we call the good life in moving forward. So David and I have a story about our past, but we're really living in where our vitality is, I think, David, you you respond, is in what we're creating moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And and I just wanted to add about stories. I mean, Justin, you said, you know, people can uh, sort of get bogged down in hearing the same old story from the same old person told over and over. Um, and the value in our stories that we talk about in the book is in what you can learn from them. So often, you know, I'm telling some old story about my life to someone in an effort to educate them. Um, and I think that's where it gets boring and tedious when we're telling our stories to learn about our gleaning from our stories, lessons that we can take going forward. That's where the real vitality yeah. is. That's where they really matter. So it's not so much trying to convince the listener to change their life. It's like we're reliving it in a new way because our life is so new and yeah. we're seeing it. Oh my gosh, that reminds me of when I uh, did something or yeah. other. And and now I'm looking at it very differently because the listener yeah. is there in a making it different for me is that am i getting yeah the the life the life you live is the legacy you leave so that legacy comes from your story in the past but also how you're manifesting it in today and so the life you live is the legacy you leave and uh, we all want to leave a legacy it doesn't have to be a big thing but it's in our DNA. We want our lives to matter. That's why purpose is mattering matters. Purpose is, is important and story is important in helping us to articulate uh, that no matter how large or how small that story is. You know, I, you, both of you work a lot with purpose. And I know that you mentioned in your writing, in this newest writing, you briefly mentioned three steps to unlock that purpose. And I'd love to kind of briefly go through those three steps. And the, the first one to remind you is, uh, what are, what are my gifts? What do I love to do as, as finding your purpose? So can you say something about that first step? Well, uh, one of the people who wrote a forward for one of our books, something to live for was Richard Bowles, who wrote, what Colors Your Parachute, the late Richard Bowles, who was an Episcopal priest, who uh, in a nutshell said this. He said, I had this dream where I had a conversation with God, and I wanted to go to earth to do something. And so God gave him gifts to take to earth. He woke up the next morning, and he, he couldn't remember the gifts. He remembered that he had a dream, but he couldn't remember the gifts. And he claimed, and I agree with this, that uh, we all have amnesia about what are we here to do? What's the point of the exercise? Why am I here on earth? Somehow we have to figure that out. 
And sometimes it comes through age or crisis or other experiences. But what we want people to do is, or we help, we hope we help people to do is to discern their gifts as the first part of that purpose formula. What am I here to do? What do I love to do? And so we have tools and processes and stories to help people discern those gifts. And I think that in the next step, the clue to that is what energizes me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also what drains me to know both of those. Yep. Yeah. And you can think of it, those three steps as the, the how, the who, and the what. My gifts are the how. How can I help? Um, we need an audience, the who, who, you know, who are we um, sharing our gifts with? And then um, what's the, like you said, Justine, the, the third part, what energizes you? That's the, that's the, the litmus test. If I, when I'm doing the thing that makes me feel like, like I'm alive, that's the real key. And I know that when you talk about purpose, you say very explicitly, Purpose is a verb. It's it's not a noun. It's yeah. it's it's not a static thing. It's a path and a practice. And I I just love that. I thought, okay, that's reframing it for me. Purpose is a practice. Well, I would suggest for your listeners that they test out a default purpose. In other words, let's Action action often precedes clarity. If you act purposefully, sometimes purpose just shows up in its in a felt sense. So that that's what. Um, and so the default purpose is only two words: grow and give. So what we ask people to do is to put on their mirror a little post-it that says "grow and give." And how am I going to grow and give today when they look at it in the morning and at night before they go to sleep? How did I grow and give today? And from that action, which precedes clarity, comes a sense, a felt sense. Oh, this purpose thing, it's not so big. We talk about purpose, Justine, with a big P. It's kind of like the big, you know, Mother Teresa, Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King. But the little P, is what do I what did I do today to grow and give to make a difference in someone else's life? And then what do I do tomorrow? So there are 1440 purpose moments in a day, and you have 1440 choice points. So that's uh so David, uh you you can yeah, add to that a, because you do this more. with younger, you do this with a lot younger people. Yeah. Yeah, and just a little more about the big P and little P and path and practice. There is a way in which we can think about the the big P being the path. That's the the global large sense of purpose. And then the little P is those practices. Uh, what did I do today? Um, for me, it's what did I do in a classroom to help a student um, bring their philosophical sensibilities alive? It can be something very small. I'm not um, changing the world. In a vat, in a grand way, but I'm making a difference in a small way in someone's life, and those are the practices, the purpose practices that I engage in. Well, I, you know, all of that reminds me 
of when I was preparing for this interview, I, I got reminded of a, a wonderful poem that I think really applies here. It's um, a poem by Jack Gilbert called A Brief for the Defense. And and at the end of this poem, he, he gives us the image of being in a little rowboat and or a little ship, he calls it, in a port. And we're looking at it's night and we're looking at the shoreline and all the cafes are shuttered. Hmm. But then he says, three shuttered cafes and one naked light burning and it that that just like whoa that's that. what that's what you're talking about is that right. that and i really interpreted that for me in the new context since i've been yeah. immersed in your work i i'm reading that that poem very differently now and i see that light as that little spark of where I have been useful. All the other shuttered places or I didn't I didn't go there. I wasn't useful there and nothing happened there. But that one light is still yeah. shining. And yeah. I just I, I got very excited about that. Is that what you're you're talking about, that contribution that we have to make? Yeah, for me it is. And uh, Annie Dillard wrote a good light, she said, a good life is made up of a series of good days, starting with today. So it gets down to the light that you're talking about, the burning light today. You see that light and what it's your choice that you make to live. That takes me to the way you've redone the quote about oh, today is the first day of the rest of your life. Yeah. You have reframed that. So <laughs> tell us about the reframing of that. Well, I think, uh, you know, I have here in front of me, uh, off of my own mirror, a post-it that says grow and give. <laughs> so to, today, it's as simple as am I growing and giving today? And at the end of the day, can I go to bed feeling fulfilled that, not in any, as David said, in any big way. I didn't change the world, but I might have just listened to one person today. It might have been in a store, could be in a gas station, it could be in the classroom for David, or it could be. But you know, I look every day to make a difference in one person's life. That's my little, my little P. Right. My big P, which I think is important to get across, Justine, to your listeners, is this. We're talking here about unlocking purpose, not discovering it. It's not out there someplace. It's in here. But to unlock it means to, to act, to do some action is required to unlock that. And out of that will come some clarity rather than, you know, some kumbaya philosophical. That can happen as well. But um, I think when people start acting purposefully, all of a sudden they get it. Well, I know for me in my life, it unfolded into my purpose. It wasn't purposeful. <laughs> I gotta say, <laughs> I didn't, I never said, oh, answer the question. I was never even asked the question, what do we want to be when you grow up? I never got that question. Good. And I just kind of <laughs> grew into it. And now that I look at my life, it just feels like, I am right on 
purpose. I I, I really feel oh. that, but I feel that as you say, uh, you grow into. Sometimes it's yeah. just growing into it. What you just said is really important, and David, I feel it now. That's what we're looking for. It's not just the concept of purpose, which is can be you know ephemeral or big. But when you have a felt sense of purpose, then you start acting that way. It's a different game. David. Can you hold that thought, please? Yes. Because I want to hear from you. I'm here with David Shapiro and Richard Leiter, and they are the co-authors of Who Do You Want to Be When You Grow Old? The Path of Purposeful Aging. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with David Shapiro and Richard Leiter, and we're talking about purpose. And I want to hear from David. You had a thought. Yes, I was so moved by um, the passion in your voice when you were talking about the way in which you've unlocked your own sense of purpose. And it really connects to um, a central theme in uh, who do you want to be when you grow old? And that's how it moves in our lives from the what to the who. Um, although maybe you weren't asked that question, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's such a, it's such a trope. It's such a, a, a characteristic question that kids are asked. Um, and when I work with young people, they're always talking about what they want to be when they grow up. But there does come this time, and it's connected with a discovery of a sense of purpose, where the question shifts from the what to the who. It's no longer what do you want to be, but who do you want to be? And that's really the sense of, um, that's really emerges out of a sense of purpose. Yeah, I'm also thinking that you talk about this this purpose in the path of purposeful aging. You say it's a spiritual path. So what do you mean by this is actually a spiritual path? Well, uh, a couple of things I would say that the uh, essayist E.B. White said this, I arise in the morning torn between a desire to save the world and a desire to savor the world. This makes it hard to plan the day. Well, I think the spiritual part of this is both savoring and saving. It's enjoying life that you've been given for whatever spiritual or religious reason you choose to you know, believe in. But it also is the action. The action, as I said, that precedes clarity in that if you've been given this life, what's the point of the action? What are you supposed to do? And so I think the action is about make, I think we're here to serve. My When I say spoiler alert to people, we're here to serve, I get a lot of different pushback. Depends on where you're coming from relative to that. But ultimately, at the end of life, or as we get older, People, where they get their greatest fulfillment is in serving. And it doesn't mean coughing up your life to, you know, having to, to be a volunteer forever or to be, but it means a combination of savoring life 
and being part of community, being part of of giving. And so growing and giving is the default. So, David. The spiritual part, like you say, Justine, doesn't have to be religious. It's about a a sense of connection to something larger than oneself. Um, And that can be secular or sectarian, however it it works for you. But it, it does require this sense of humility about one's own self and uh, an appreciation for, like Richard was saying, the amazing miracle of our own existence and um, the gratitude for that. You you mentioned miracle. That reminds me of A Course in Miracles. <laughs> and, <laughs> and in that course, um, recently a teammate reminded me that the two sides of the coin are both in um, receiving and giving. It's both yeah. in. And in our culture, if it's if we're just in a gimme, 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 then there is no possibility of receiving. But there is a gift in giving. I, I know you both can comment on that. I'd love to hear what, yeah. what you have to say. Well, I would suggest that both David and I have had fortuitous encounters with each other, but with wise people who who could answer that question that you asked. Mine in 1968 was Viktor Frankl. I spent a week with Viktor Frankl, and it changed my life forever because he said the last of the human freedoms is choice. It's the choice to give in, in many ways in spite of the circumstances that you're in. And he said, in spite of everything, say yes to life. And there's a lot between that, you know, between stimulus and response, there's a choice. So what David and I both write about, we come at it from different angles, that we do have a choice in matters. And that choice is about how we want our lives to roll out and or not. And um, so that would be my my and in, in terms of those fortuitous encounters, I mean, I had this fortuitous encounter with Richard Leiter some 30 years ago um, that provided me with a mentor and a model for someone who's living a life purposefully, who's devoted to, to uh, giving, to sharing. I mean, Richard has always, from the very start, included me as an equal colleague in this project, uh, a co-author a co-collaborator, um, and the generosity that he's illustrated and modeled over these some four decades, um, you know, is an inspiration and is part of his his legacy that n- now is my legacy as well to, to pass on going forward. Well, that really reminds me of something that you both uh, adhere to, and you, you say the key to a avoiding or managing late life crisis is don't do it alone mm. you say you say isolation is fatal fatal so yep. yep so so please embellish on that this one we could go on for a long time but i don't think anybody who's listening would disagree that isolation is fatal so what that means is different for different people in terms of isolation and socialization or, you know, what, what, what they do. You know, even uh, doc, uh, Dr. Vivek Murthy, who's the current 
Surgeon General, and he was under Obama, has written a book called Together. And it's based on much research that shows that if you go go at life or life crises or aging alone, you don't do as well as if you do it. And so what does that mean? Well, it means different things to different people. And we're trying to figure this out now in our in our society. You know, with 10 to 12,000 people a day turning 65, a high percentage of those people are going it alone. Yes. And they're wanting to figure out, they don't want to just be a joiner and be part of something that, you know, I should be part of this or part of that. And so, you know, David, as you are listening to the voices of young people, even millennials are isolated, aren't they? It's not just older people. What do you yeah, say? And of course, the, the pandemic made it worse. Um, um, but I would say that the um, there's a hunger. There's an incredible hunger for that connection among young people and people of all ages. Um, and so our ability to create a space where connections can happen um, is really key. You know, Richard and I wrote much of, or most of, if not all of, um, who do you want to be when you grow old during the pandemic? Um, and so we, you know, we were all isolated during that time, but our ability to work together was a lifeline for both of us. That totally, connection totally. through, you know, even though it was virtual, um, was a, you know, it, it saved it saved us, literally. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. And, and it's been hard. I, I must admit <clears throat> for myself that when we were sheltering in place, it continues to be difficult for me to get out and socialize. I, I can feel that I'm hesitant and I, I'm not as active in that way. And so there are times that I really force myself to get out. And then whenever I do, I am <laughs> so glad I did. Well, <laughs> and don't you remember, I mean, I'm during the pandemic, I'm, I had numerous conversations where I said, oh, I'm never going to turn down a party. I'm never going to <laughs> not go out to dinner if someone invites me. Um, it didn't take long after, you know, lockdown was over that I was eating my words about that. But it's a good reminder, right? It's a good reminder of, of how that, you know, our, our social muscle is kind of a muscle that we have to exercise. Yeah. Well, I just want to add kind of the underbelly of that is that purpose and purposeful relationships, but purpose is not a luxury for the affluent or the well-educated or a certain age or a certain stage. One of the things that we land on here is that purpose is fundamental. It's fundamental to health. It's fundamental to healing. It's fundamental to happiness and longevity and uh, so it's something that that we now can measure and that this science is there science and faith both agree that purpose is fundamental so that leads me to ask uh, a really i think important question and this is the the serious problem of growing older in these times when people are on a fixed income and they're having to 
decide, can I spend money on medicine or food? And I mean, that's a, that's real. Yeah, and I, I, yeah. I want to hear anything that you have to say about purpose and aging and doing well and thriving in that environment. Yeah. I, I don't have any silver bullets for that, any magic, because uh, we're both privileged that we can write and make a, a you know, an income that doesn't have to be great. We can survive. Well, I'm a and, teacher, so <laughs> I'm getting <and>, by. <laughs> but the, the the point is that um, uh, we believe that everybody should have a sounding board, a kitchen cabinet, people that they go with. And so, oh, well, I don't have anybody. It's amazing how you can ask somebody. I'm, I I do workshops, I do speeches, and I sit just in the next week, talk with the person next to you, and they become lifelong friends, some of them, not, not everybody, but they haven't asked, they haven't, uh, and so uh, part of it is, I mean, there's, it's, there's a lot of complexity to the question that you asked, uh, not that there aren't answers, but it's not, not an easy answer, well, just do this, we're not Pollyannish about that, this right. is not... This can be very, very painful. I mentioned that I'm going through a medical challenge right now. And some people are, uh, oh, it'll be just fine. They went, I don't know if it'll be just fine. <laughs> can yeah. we talk? And others say, well, let's talk about that. I want to be part of your healing journey or something like that. And I'm not expecting that I'm not going to make it or anything like that. But I don't know. Yeah. And so yeah. I just, you know, as an individual who writes about this, all of a sudden I've got a new revelation about the pain and yet the possibility, the real possibility, because all of a sudden people are showing up who in the past were like, oh, I never thought you really cared. Oh, my God, I know ne you never asked or we never talked about this. So Right, right. So, again, it's it's however our circumstance is. To not isolate again is what I'm hearing. That that that's mm -hmm. and that's available to all of but, us. But how to not isolate? We say a sounding board. Having yes. and I like the one, kitchen cabinet. I like that. <laughs> well, the number one person on your kitchen cabinet is a committed listener. Yes, somebody who practices care versus cure. Yes, I'm here with Richard Leiter and David Shapiro. We are talking about. Who do you want to be when you grow old? I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Richard Leiter and David Shapiro. They're co-authors of Who Do You Want to Be When You Grow Old? The Path of Purposeful Aging. And I just want to tell our listeners, uh, I'm so grateful for this book. I really am. And I've already passed it around to, to friends. And it's at the end, it's so well organized. It's easy. It's not long. I loved it that, you know, it's not... 500 pages long it's it's like very readable it's it's very conversational but it also has many many great questions to ask one another and to ask our our sounding board our deep listeners to even choose deep listeners for these long conversations and at the end of the book you do a wonderful wrap up and you go through each chapter, maybe two pages. With each chapter, you outline some questions. And so I copied all of that right then. And of course, told gave you guys the, the recognition that you wrote the book and put this all out. And I put it out to my women's group. Uh, my women's group, we've been meeting for 45 years. <laughs> we're, <Wow. laughs> we're growing, aging uh, purposefully mm. together. And um, Wonderful. so I said, hey, here's some focus that we can do on our monthly meetings that, that you might, we might consider looking at these questions. So, so I'd love for you to comment on how you came up with that and, and what what is the meaning of that and what it has for you? Well, I think the uh, if you're going to be so bold as to ask others to answer questions, you should ask those or answer those questions yourself. So we tried to answer some of the seminal or key questions, particularly about end of life and about dying. And, you know, what do we really believe? What are we here for? What's the point of the exercise? What do we do? And all of that. And um, so uh, we both did that. And I think it was less scary for David, but he can answer for himself, for me to go public, because I'm pretty public with, um, have been for a long time with, um, you know, being out there on the speaking circuit, et cetera. And I've been honest and not, you know, but to talk about end of life is a whole new and it really was revealing in terms of, for me personally, it's added a lot of positive dimension to how I live my life now. It's not like, oh, it's all about that. It's like, so what are you doing now to live the life that you say you want to want to live? So I think it has for those questions that David and I took on. So how did you feel about it? Yeah, and also a really powerful way to um, be more authentic with each other. Um, one of the things that happens at, in a long friendship um, is that is that it deepens and asking and answering these what we call ultimate questions, questions about what do you think happens when you die? How would you like to die? What gifts do you want to leave the world before you die? Answering those questions for ourselves with each other allowed us to deepen our connection with each other, with ourselves and with each other. And it's very... Yeah. Powerful, and it's a way of of uh, reducing that sense of isolation. You know, being seen by another person is really is really key, and that's what um, exploring these questions together allowed us to do. 
And exactly. hopefully that having a conversation ourselves allowed others to have that same conversation with their significant others like we had with each other. Who could you have this conversation with? And what I've learned in, in follow-up is that a lot of people who have an abundance of acquaintances have a poverty of people that they can have this conversation with. Ah, that's so good. That's really to think about who is it that I would want to have and explore the question, what do I think happens yeah. when I die? Or yeah. how would I like to die? Or that third question, what gifts do I I feel I'm going to leave? Uh, when I die, um, that right. that's like really powerful, powerful, to, and to know that there might be somebody that really pops into our mind. Oh, you know, I could explore that with this person. Yeah, I was a so I'm asked often to be a celebrant at different weddings or funerals or things, and my best friend since second grade, his name is Jerry Parr, died. And I was a celebrant at his funeral. And the preponderant majority of people could not have this conversation. I know that. I I, I went mm-hmm. through it with him. And yeah. he didn't have that kind of relationship with others, which is so sad. It was just yeah. so. And the things that were said at his memorial service, I mean, it, it was just really tragic. I want to just give an example besides those three powerful questions, like just in the outline that you give us, like uh, chapter one, the the name of that chapter is old, who, me, (laughs) was the name of that chapter. Uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. But but you have one of the questions you ask us uh, that we could ask that other person, that great listener, Mm -hmm. what in your life, what made something mm-hmm. in your life really fine and how can you manifest those qualities now i i just that's like okay what have i manifested in my life that i really consider fine and is it still available to me in my life right now i i love that question uh these and and you know that goes back to what we were talking about with stories as well justine because when you tell that story, when you mine your memories for that story, um, you learn something that allows you to uh, give it to the world, to manifest it in the world. And so you may, you know, you you probably, you know, we've all told the story about some great moment in our life, but thinking it, thinking about it again in this context of how can it inform what you're doing going forward really changes the the thinking about that story. No, I just piggyback a little bit, and that would be that when I talk about big P and little P with an audience, there's a palpable sign, no matter how sophisticated they are. Oh, I don't have to be great. (laughs) And so I think some of those fine moments are little P moments where I was there at the passing of somebody, or I was there at whatever it is. And so I think. it gives people permission to feel real without having to feel that they're not authentic or they're not right. or they're not great. You know, it, one of the things that the the book did for me uh, in storytelling 
uh, I, I can't remember where in the book, but it just reminded me that my mother has passed on and, and all of her sisters so that that generation is gone in my life. And I realized I never asked my mother to give me all the details of my birth. Mm-hmm. I don't know the details of my birth. And what that did for me is that I sat down and I wrote everything I could remember about the birth of my son. And I sent it to him, although he didn't ask me. Mm. I just thought, this is something I wanted for myself, and I wanted to document this for him so he knows all the circumstances of his own birth. And that's that was a gift. Uh, So uh, these are some of the things that can kind of crop up when when you're going through this whole um, process and exercise and ideas and wisdom that you've passed on to us. So uh, I I want to thank you for that. So any any comments that you have on any any of this? (laughs) Well, I would just say that for many decades I have been in the work that we've done together, but starting back in 1973 when dinosaurs were roaming the earth, <laughs> I, I I started to interview people over the age of 65 because my father died at 67 uh, after a career, and I thought he was going to live a long life, and he didn't. And I said, what? And a number of his colleagues died, and said. So I started to interview people and ask them if they could live their life over, what would they do differently? Mm. So I've reported on this many, many times and written about this many, many times. But the one thing that keeps coming up over and over again is I wish I would have been more aware. I wish I would have been more reflective about my own life. But I was too busy. Even back then, before the internet, before cell phones, before all this hubbub today, people were just as busy with different kinds of busyness. And then all of a sudden, they're 65 or 70 and looking back and it's not that they lived a life of regrets but they they wish they would have been more choice makers and so i think what we're trying to do is make people choice makers with a context of you get to choose it's not we're not saying you should do this we're just saying that 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 it's important to be uh, in charge of your own destiny to the extent you can exactly Exactly. Any closing remarks from you, David, before we sign off? I just take this um, event, this conversation we've had, as a, a beautiful illustration of what much of what we were doing in the book, being able to have an authentic, heartfelt conversation about purpose, about life, about aging. And so I thank you, Justine, for for providing this opportunity to um to do what um, is very consistent with our purposes. Oh, thank you. Thank you both. Thank you so much for this work, for this new iteration of finding our purpose and now now purposeful aging. I've been speaking with Richard J. Leiter and David A. Shapiro, uh, co-authors of Who Do You Want to Be When You Grow Old? The Path of Purposeful Aging. And if you want to know more about their work, go to the website, Richard Leiter. He spells his last name L-E-I-D-E-R, richardleiter.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions.
This is program number 3803. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.